Welcome to the Delicious Brain Waves podcast. I'm your host, Brad Tunar, and today I am joined with Ian Polson, and we're going to discuss uh, pricing models in WordPress, kind of where they've come from, uh, where they're going, maybe what perceptions uh, that may or may not be true about those pricing models. Uh, welcome, Ian. Thank you, Brad. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and so do you want to just give people a kind of a, a brief summary of what you do? So you're, you're a member of the Delicious Brains team. Uh, Indeed. What, yeah, what do you do? Yeah, so I am the product manager, or I guess new, it's a new role for me this year. Um, I'm the product manager for WP Migrate DB Pro and WP Offload Media. So the sort of two big plugins that obviously we do as, at Delicious Brains. Um, and outside of Delicious Brains, I kind of have some side projects. So I've got a couple of WordPress plugins and also started this year building a WordPress-focused SaaS, which is kind of funny because like on a small scale, I find it interesting that I'm mirroring the Delicious Brains kind of, not journey, but the products that we have, like, you you know, Delicious Brains has pl plugins. It's the big, the big thing, our flagship plugins, but with spin up WP um, this year, and obviously back end of last year, we're in the WordPress SaaS space with a, a SaaS product that is focused towards WordPress people. So yeah, there's some really funny synergies between what we do, me on a very, very small scale with my side projects. Um, and I think, yeah, I, I wanted to talk with you and come on the podcast and talk about the pricing difference in models, um, and kind of try and tease out something around is it plugins versus SaaS? Is it plugins and SaaS? Like how can mm -hmm. can they coexist in within a company, uh, you know, as an umbrella of products? Um so yeah, I'm excited to sort of chat and pick your brains and 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 noodle it out, I guess. Yeah, let's let's get into it. I I mean, it's interesting the history of WordPress pricing models because I feel like a lot of plugin authors are kind of just getting to SaaS kind of now, for example, us. <laughs> so like we're only now considering adding SaaS components to our plugins. Um, but but that's it's not a new thing, right? Like Automatic's been doing this with Akismet since the like really early days, right? Yeah. Um, so, so it's, we've had examples of it like since the very beginning, but I feel like it really, it, it really did take a long time before kind of more and more people embraced that model. Um, I, I think part of it is because it's just such, it's such a big, such a bigger project to build a SaaS than it is to just build a plugin, right? It's much, yeah. much easier to pump out a plugin, put it on .org, see if it, it takes, you know, if people take to it. Um, if, if you, yeah, if you're building a, an app that's in the cloud, yeah, it's a lot more, a lot more effort. And, ba and back when Automatic was doing it, it was way more complicated too because you didn't have the options, the cloud options we have today. Uh, you know, the infrastructure options that we have. Uh, so, you know, I don't even know exactly, you know, what version one of Akismet was like, but I would imagine they were hosting their own servers, you know, and 
uh, maybe even their own physical servers in a data center somewhere. Um, so you can imagine that versus, you know, spinning up a DigitalOcean droplet. It's, it's quite the, the contrast, right? Yeah, I mean, times have changed for sure when it comes to, as you say, the infrastructure. But I think, like, it, the, the idea of having a SaaS component to a WordPress plugin, it doesn't work for every plugin. Like, the, there must be a very small subset of, um, of plugins and their feature set that allow you to say, right, well, this is going to be a SaaS component. This is the kind of, you need an API key to a service that you pay regularly, monthly to before, like, you know, for example, Kismet actually works better because um, you plugged in the API key and they're doing actually spam filtering on their servers rather on your server. Um, but Well, Kismet yeah. doesn't even work without the SaaS component, right? That's This is an example of a plugin that only works as a SaaS, right? The, the, the plugin part is really just kind of the dumb part that's needed to integrate with WordPress, right? Yeah. And that's true of, I think, most of Automatic's products, right? Like the same with VaultPress. VaultPress is a pretty basic plugin and like most of the heavy lifting is done on the, on the SaaS side, on the cloud side, right? Mm. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's obviously... It's interesting how we're talking about those types of um, the, the initial products that have been in that space with the, with the SaaS side to it are automatic plugins uh, products because you know the majority of people's plugins on .org are free and they or then the majority of other plugins just have a premium a pro option with you know a single payment or whatever you know there's, there's a whole history of different pricing options there. Yeah, it, it it does strike me as it's funny that that they're the market leader in that kind of space, um, whereas everyone else has kind of gone down the road the road of, well, I'm creating this plugin, it's free, open source, it's on .org. Oh, I might as well monetize it a bit, add a pro version, and you know try and make ends meet kind of that way, um, mm -hmm. which I guess yeah. historically most people have done, and you know the, the, there's now a massive ecosystem around plugins and premium plugins there's some really big plugin authors out there plugin shops that are making a ton of money but that's not always been the case is it it's like that it's matured recently but for a long time it's been a bit of a, a wild west of people with free plugins and asking for donations on on wordpress.org for their <laughs> plugin like did that ever work for anyone um and and then no, you know you kind so. of have you have the original premium only plugins and yeah it's it's definitely been an interesting um journey for the for the industry and the ecosystem over the last few years well 10 years i guess yeah 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 i mean prior to that though these models existed as well so uh, i remember there was a couple of sites that i i always went to uh so CGI Resources was one of them. Matt's Script Archive was another. So this was before I even knew anything. Well, I don't. This was before WordPress even existed as an idea, um, and uh, and those. So those were free, basically free apps. So you had like forum software, greeting card software, and all this these scripts they they called them, and they often had you could upgrades. Like you could pay to upgrade to like add more features or whatever. So yeah, the, the model is certainly not, 
you know, novel uh, to or unique to WordPress, I should say. Um, so yeah, it, it just kind of made sense, I think, to just borrow something that that's already been out there. You know, have have kind of free open source software uh, that's that's available, like a free version, and then you pay for uh, to to get access to the to the additional features and uh and support obviously is the other thing that's that you're paying for there um and i mean that's the model that's the model i saw when i started in the wordpress space too right like gravity forums was kind of the one of the first the first ones um and i believe uh i believe when they started they had manual renewals so they were the one of the first plugins that I saw that were actually uh, requesting that people pay again a year later, right? Because when a lot of plugins started out, a lot of premium plugins started out as just one-time payments uh, and themes as well. Uh, and then, uh, and then Gra Gravity Forms is the first one I remember that that had a, a renewal fee uh, to, to keep getting updates to the to the product updates and support um but they heavily discounted it as well it was manual renewal so you'd get an email and you had to go you know click a button and 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 actually manually renew um and uh and then i guess the if you had an expired license uh you wouldn't get support and you wouldn't get updates and but they wouldn't cripple any of the features so if uh if you have an expired license you still can use the the current version that you have of Gravity Forms, and and that's kind of the model I think that most people used uh, at that time uh, and 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 thereafter, and it's it's only been probably in the last few years that you've seen like departures from that. Uh, so automatic renewals uh, is one thing, um, and then I guess the other thing we've seen even more recently. Um, from big plugins is starting to take away features when the license is expired. I've started to see that in a couple of places, which mm. I'm not sure about. It's not something we're planning to do, so nobody freak out. <laughs> but, yeah, it's a gray area, though, isn't it? For that, how far you go with it and how, like, mm -hmm. what you cripple and how you do it. And is it fair? Like, it doesn't. Yeah, I've definitely yeah. seen examples of of plugins that really go to town, and and they're quite brutal on what they lock once your license is expired, even to the point of making the plugin just it's not functionable at all. Which is right. Yeah, it's it, it, and that's difficult to see as well. I think because as much as like from a plugin author perspective, you want to be able to encourage people to renew. Because if right. you don't have that recurring revenue year on year, it's hard to support the business going forward. It's hard to put the money back in. It's hard to support existing users, the growing user base. It's hard to improve the product that people are paying for. But the problem with the WordPress space is, and this is probably similar for most tech things, is trends are heavily copied. So you're just talking about manual renewals. There was a point where obviously everybody just had one off, pay $50 and you get the, the pro version and then manual renewals came in and then everybody started doing it. And the same with auto, auto renewals. Now it's pretty much the de facto way of having you buy a plugin, you know it's going to recur yearly and it's probably going to auto charge you. 
but the more we see people crippling things, right. uh, like that it's becomes new, difficult. Because, it's a new normal, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> yeah, and, and that's yeah. hard for the users, like who are buying multiple plugins to to power yeah. their sites. Um, yeah, that's a dangerous one, I think. But yeah, full disclosure, we're thinking about what to do and how to do it. Yeah, I think there's a, a a line to be towed there where people it doesn't upset people, right? If you cripple a, a product and it breaks your site, obviously that is going to really upset people. But I I think the 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 way that people have implemented this that I've seen is that like you can't you just can't add new things, for example. So like if it's mm. a forms plugin, you can't add a new form, but you can edit your existing forms. You know, it's some kind of thing like yeah. that, right? And and that's it's annoying. It might be a bit annoying to people, but I feel like that probably toes like it strikes the right balance where it's going to mm. annoy you enough that you're going to be you know you're going to be annoyed, but you're not going to be super upset that you can't add an, another form. Although I know I know for sure that some people will be upset because their expectation's yeah. been broken here right their expectation is that they could just keep using this product as they have been until you know a wordpress update uh, screws it up and they have to upgrade to the next version or something right that's their expectation mm -hmm. and if they get the a dialogue that says oh you need to upgrade before you can add a new form that's going to be you know they're going to be really upset by that but that's but that's the best case scenario of trying to sort of cripple from that from that example of a forms plugin but there are people and plugins doing more advanced ways where you can't edit things that you've already created and like that's that is a an example i guess you don't really want to be set in um within the wider ecosystem because then it just becomes i don't know like it, a race to the bottom of for people's bad experiences and um yeah yeah i mean if if you think think about the SaaS space, right? Um, so with SaaS, like you know, they stop paying, you turn off the lights, right? They, they just can't use anything. But actually, that's not always true. So an example is Airtable. So Airtable has a free tier, right? And then you upgrade to get additional features, right? But what I've noticed with them is when you stop paying or you cancel your subscription. It doesn't just delete everything all the, that you use the new those features for, right? So, mm. for example, uh, if you create a form in Airtable, one of the uh, upgrade features is you can add some branding to the form, so you can add some images to the form. Well, all the forms that you created while you had a subscription running, they stay fine. Like the the branding's there. You can't change it. You can't change the image at all, but it stays, right? And so. So like that's an example where they've kind of struck that balance between, you know, being jerks and not being jerks, basically, right? Um, and I think I think the same can be done with WordPress plugins. It's just, you know, are people being too heavy-handed when they're implementing these things or not? Right? Mm -hmm. it's, it's really the question. Yeah, because so. it's a balance to be struck between if you are a jerk to try and limit features to drive renewal rates actually being a jerk will, will hurt your renewal rate potentially even more so so you've got to you've got to think about kind of being a good citizen of right and it's, right. And it's, it's not just the it's short just term the SAS, versus long term thinking exactly but thing. but it's but it's also when you're an Airtable type product 
your customer is only using Airtable, whereas when you're a WordPress plugin, you're you've got uh, a user of your plugin inside their WordPress admin, potentially using lots of other plugins. So you kind of need to be mindful of how you're operating within a shared space and we've seen this with like the notifications and people doing horrendous upsells in admin bar notifications within the wordpress dashboard that people you know if everybody starts doing it it's a horrendous experience for the user your your customer um so right. you it's kind of have to be aware of the commons is the exactly yeah <laughs> yeah and it, and it just encourages people to all be bad actors in the space because then it will just it will just be a really really bad experience for for your end customers um mm. if, if everybody does that and they've got five plugins installed that all do it it just it's i don't know people just have to sort of be conscious that they're playing in a in a shared space i think yeah for sure for sure i th- one thing that's interesting to me is is how how the norms have changed gradually over time. And, and w- another example of that is, uh, is renewal discounts. So, you know, I was talking about gravity forms earlier about in the very early days, they had manual renewals and to encourage people to actually click that button, that link in the email to actually renew their license, they deeply discounted the renewal rate compared to the, the initial rate that they paid. Um, and then, but since we've implemented auto automatic renewals, we no longer need that incentive to get people to take the action because the action's automatic. And so, so the renewals now, we've stopped discounting them. Most, I, I would say most plugins or, or a lot of plugins anyway, do not discount renewals anymore. And it's kind of a side effect of the auto renewals, uh, but it's also, you know, one, maybe one company did it and then, oh, maybe I'll try that. Another company did it. And then next thing you know, most companies are doing it. I think it was WooCommerce that they were the, they were the sort of the first bird that took all the arrows because they initially cut the renewal rate and got so much sort of blowback from customers about it. But now it is the, as you say, it's the new trend that everybody seems to do in it's, there shouldn't be a renewal discount for auto renewals, and it kind of doesn't make sense to keep rewarding customers. And although you do want to have longevity of customers, sure, but why are they getting more value or or getting more value for money over time than new customers? It's the same, you know. Mm-hmm. It's so yeah. That it's good that that's the um, the the way well, forward. Well, it's funny you say that than than new customers because what we're now seeing is is uh, WordPress com- WordPress plugin companies giving f- uh, deep first year discounts to try get more people to try you know get in to use their products and kind of then they see the value. See, so this is what we've done recently. We've we've deeply discounted our first year. Uh, the first year fee and then the renewal price is actually more than what you paid for your first year. And this, I mean, this, you've seen this with telcos, you know, with like cell phone companies and cable companies, right? They always do this, right? Like, oh, for your, and I think the telcos now are doing something like, like they're playing the long game. I I think here the promotion is two years. They'll they'll give you like a really good monthly rate for two years and then they jack it up. 
Mm. And but but then there's fine print where they're adding like they're you know they're they're allowed to just add ten bucks to your to your bill on any random month within those two years. And so what I noticed them doing is just randomly my bill will go up by ten dollars, no notification, nothing, and they just add ten dollars uh, within that two year promotional promotion period. And then, of course, at the end of the two years, the rate just goes way up, like two, three x what what they were, were, were what the promotion was. And of course, what they're preying on here is people not paying attention, right? Not paying attention to their their cell phone bill or their or their cable bill or whatever. Um, and and I I think I think that's an extreme. I think I I think uh, that's morally wrong. I don't like. Yeah, we're not what advocating for plug-in developers to do that. <laughs> no, I am not advocating that we should be doing this. Um, but I think it does make sense to lower that that pr- that first year price for people so that they can get into the product and use it and then see the value and then decide the next year. Hey, you know what? This product. This it's worth this much money. I'm happy to pay this renewal price, right? Yeah, I, I think that makes sense. Yeah, and and I think that the thing that we're sort of because as you said, we we're doing we've done it for our products, and one of the things that is hopefully a benefit from it because we've got different license tiers where the more you pay, the kind of more you get. You get more add-ons, or you get more functionality, or you get more with offload media, for example. You get more um, media files included you're hoping that once they're in the door at a lower price point perhaps on the lowest tier they see the value they see how quality the product is and then they think well actually well now i know it's good i I could do that as well i could migrate my media files so they'll upgrade within the tiers as well and but you wouldn't get that if you had the full prices straight off on the pricing page they might be scared off by the lowest price anyway um so it's it's encouraging them in and and then to upgrade Yes. Yeah. And, and I mean, we haven't, we don't know yet what, if this is going to work because it hasn't been a year yet. So it, it, you know, it only, it's only going to work to lower our first year price if our renewal rate stays roughly the same or doesn't go down very much. Right. If, if we end up with a bunch of people not renewing after a year now that we've lowered the first year price, then then we haven't done better, right? We're just supporting a bunch more people and who are not and, and we're not renewing, right? Um, at the same rate. Um, so yeah, that's. I think. I think it's yet to be determined if this is a good idea. Mm. Um, it feels it feels uh, foolproof, right? But it, <laughs> you never know until the data's in, right? But you've got to experiment, haven't you? You've got to like with all pricing things and and optimizations and tweaks. You've got to, You have to change and see how they go you can't if you stick with the same thing you're not going to know um yeah but it doesn't yeah. mean that we can't revert it we can't change it like you just t- dip a toe in the water i guess but you're right it's the long game of a year before you actually see the results from it yeah that's yeah. that's the trick with pricing is that you a lot of depending on what you're changing sometimes it can take a long time to see whether or not it's it, it worked or not uh, and it also means that you can't make any other changes to your pricing in that time because if, if you do then they affect the data and then you don't know what has yeah you know what's yeah. the result or uh, what caused the, the result um another thing is that I, I i used to i used to think uh that 
I think I used to think the opposite of this. So in the past, we've increased our prices because if we had more customers, uh, then we if we have a lot of customers paying us very little, then we're we're actually losing more because we have to pay for support, right? We're, we're supporting more customers. Uh, whereas if we have less customers at a higher price point, that's better for us because uh, we have less customers to support, right? Um, but I think what we've, what I've realized is that if you increase that price, you're going to get less customers in the door, and they're never going to realize the value of the of the of your product, right? You, you can't. You can only convince so many people with your marketing, right? There's mm. most people are only going to be, or I don't know about most. Probably most of our customers, developers are very. Um, I feel like developers tend to be tough customers, right? Like they want to, they want to see, they want to kick the tires, right? They want to, they want to see the value. They don't trust the marketing, right? Like anybody can put a, a good marketing page together that that you know pulls the wool over your eyes, and then you know you get in there, and then it's like, oh my god, this is awful, right? Uh, and and I'm, I'm sure developers have have experienced that enough that they don't trust the marketing. Right, so I think it's important to get those people in using your product, and so one way to do that is to lower your price, and and we've seen that it absolutely does work. We've you know we've slashed uh, our first year prices considerably at, at the lowest tier. It's a fifty percent discount over what we used to charge, and and we're getting way more customers in the door, and we're seeing more upgrades as a result of that. Which those are all good signs. The, the big question, though, is at the end of the year, are they going to renew that that license? Yeah, yeah. When they see the renewal email a couple of weeks before saying it will renew at this price, like is that a cold hard sort of realization for them, or is it like, yeah, do you know what? I love it. I love this plugin. I love this product. Crack on, kind of thing. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. It's going to be interesting. Yeah, I guess. So let's talk about SaaS again. Uh, yeah. Some more. So yeah, especially talking about yearly pricing because SaaS is completely different, or typically SaaS is different, and it's it's a monthly thing. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a big realization I've had a few years ago. Is that I realized that when we first started out, uh, I was just following in you know, the gravity forms model, the gravity forms, uh, you know, having, uh, an annual price that, and you charged, uh, for renewals, but at a discounted rate, right? That's what we launched with. Uh, and it just so happens that that is a really great model when you're starting out because, an annual price, it, it captures all the value for an entire 12 months, right? Um, so simp uh, simple math, if, you're, uh, if you want to get to 10K in monthly recurring revenue, right? With an annual subscription, you only need $149, or at $149 a year, you only need 68 customers, right? paying you and you you get to that 10k mrr but at the typical SaaS model which is monthly 30 if you're charging 13 dollars a month you need 
770 customers paying you $13 a month to, to get to 10K MRR. So you can imagine. So, I mean, when you're first starting out, like even I, I would argue that if you're launching a new SaaS app, like if you can possibly, if it's conceivable that people would be willing to pay you upfront for a year, like I would say launching with that do it like if you can do it do it right the problem is that a lot of people's expectations for a SaaS app is to pay monthly at kind of a, a lower price point right so like a 13 dollars a month rather than 149 dollars per year right um i mean ideally your SaaS app would be enough there'd be enough value there where you could charge a hundred dollars a month right but that's not always the case right <laughs> yeah exactly and, and this is the thing with um so plugin rank is my SaaS that I launched this year. And initially, because it's a SaaS, you just think, right, well, let's just charge per month. Uh, and that's the, the, the way people do it. Um, and then it took a couple of months in of one paying customer to say to me, can I can I pay you per year, please? Because this mm -hmm. is too many invoices per month to like, presumably for for me as the, as the author, you know, the, the product owner, it's probably not great for churn because people have lots of decision points in the year where they go, oh, I've just, just had this renewed. Am I still using it? Whereas instead of having 12 invoices and emails, they'll have one, then they're less less likely to think potentially to, to cancel. But this guy wanted to pay upfront for the year and just wanted to have like less accounting, less bookkeeping, and he saw the value. Um, so I was kind of quickly there, right, well, I need to add the annual plans and add, you know, change the pricing page, add that the toggle between, give the discount potentially for, you know, two months free if you pay for annual. Um, but yeah, it, not everybody's taken up that option. But I, I guess, is that what you're saying? Have both um, options or or would you just purely lead with annual to start with if you can? I mean, I, I would purely lead with annual to start if you can. In your case, I think you can because I think a lot of people, I mean, all your customers are in the WordPress space. They're used to the WordPress plugin model, which is paying annually, right? Yes, yeah, yeah, true. That's a, so, an advantage, sure. Yeah, yeah. and, and so I think, I think you probably could. I don't think, I'd be surprised if people complained about having to pay annually and, and that they can't as long as you have like a good money back guarantee where they can get all their money back uh you know after uh you know it's 30 days 60 days whatever it is um i think i think you'd probably be able to get away with that uh, i think i think you probably wouldn't your your conversion rate probably wouldn't be affected but again it's something you'd have to try right like i would mm. i would try removing like you could do that tomorrow right you could remove all your monthly options and just see if your conversion rate is affected well you you probably couldn't right now because it's december and everything's out of whack in december but. yeah because i think there's also there's, there's a especially in the wordpress space there's a there's a funny perception around annual versus monthly because if you if you were just a plugin and you decided to say well i'm going to just actually charge monthly for this plugin for monthly for support monthly for updates and you charged ten dollars a month people would be like whoa ten dollars a month that's really expensive for a plugin but actually <laughs> it's what, 120 bucks for an annual price which is probably quite a typical plugin price 
Um, yeah. But it just as soon as people start thinking monthly and times twelve, they're like, "Whoa, I don't, I can't. This is this right. is too much to pay monthly, along with all of my other monthly outgoings." But an annual price, a one-off, or well, not a one-off, but a one-time per year price, seems much more um, Paltable, easy for yeah. them to stomach. Yeah, yeah, it's weird. Yeah, it is. It is weird. It's pricing psychology is so interesting, and it's and it's really complicated. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. Like, I have thought about that actually. Like, um, I think we've discussed it as well, right? Like, why why shouldn't we consider pricing our plugins monthly? Like, why? Mm. I think I think one of the big hesitations there right now is that you could you could conceivably buy one of our plugins for whatever it would be sixteen dollars, nineteen dollars, right, uh, per month, right. But, uh, but then cancel your subscription after you buy, right? So then you're not going to pay us again. And then what? And then it, it works forever. Like we're not crippling any features at the moment, right? So it's, mm. it's just going to keep working the next month and the next month and the next month. And, and then people can kind of, you know, sign up, cancel and run away with it. Um, it, it that's, I think that's the risk. That's the big risk is that that might happen. Um, and is so it would be that, quite that, a, a dangerous experiment or a, a risky yeah. experiment potentially. I guess it would open the door to that more um, for, for that happening more. But is there any difference to the you know the no questions asked money back guarantee where people, if they see it's an annual price and they they know they don't want to pay for it really and they just come in they buy it they use it and then they go ah oh, it didn't work out can I have my money back within thirty days and then they can still use it because it's software right it's WordPress. It's a WordPress plugin. It's PHP files. Unless we're crippling it fully, like right. Except they can't. So for us, what we do when we cancel someone's subscription, uh, or sorry, not when we cancel, when we refund someone, we we null out their license. We we essentially cancel their license key. So then, when they put their license key into the software, it doesn't unlock it. For our for our products, you still need to put in a license key that is either active, so it has an active subscription, or is an expired subscription, which is also fine. So you can unlock it with either, but it still has to be a key in our database that isn't null and void, right? That's that's the big difference, I think. Yeah, and that's um, I, I'd actually completely forgot about that. That's a lovely nuance there that doesn't mean that we're taking you know we're not we're not taking advantage of the customer by crippling stuff but actually we're protecting ourselves against that kind of behavior which i guess it happens but probably not on a on a large scale uh, and obviously less for us in that case yeah nice yeah yeah so i i think i think there's probably a way to do it monthly and lower some risk there if we're if we're clever uh i, I have seen other plugins doing this um, and I'm, I'm especially um, especially thinking about it from the point of view of, of uh, offload media. So WP offload media, that product, one of our plans is to build our own object storage option into it, right? And that's going to be billed on per usage, right? It's going to be a usage-based pricing, and it's so it's going to be monthly. So it depends on how much data you're going to be storing in our, in our storage provider. Um, that's that's going to account for your bill. Uh, so 
so what are we going to do here? So we're, they're going to have a monthly recurring bill for their storage, and then we're still going to charge them every year for the plugin. For the plugin, right? Like, yeah, that doesn't seem right, does it? Like, it's that that feels broken to me. I think we're going to have to roll the cost of the plugin into that monthly fee and just not charge them annually, right? Um, but in but in that case, someone could probably sign up for a month, get the plugin, right, and then run away with it. Uh, you know, cancel their subscription. So we're gonna yeah. we're gonna be running into this uh, next year. You know, in twenty twenty one. So we're gonna have to we're gonna have to sort it out. Um, mm. It's gonna be might be tricky. Yeah, I think that that's the problem, isn't it? The more pricing things and either limitations or tweaks or enhancements to your pricing model you do, it has a technical impact on your product because you have to work out how to lock it down for cancelled. Or you have to make sure that you can still use this plugin if you've got the monthly subscription. Like, there's always, it's not as easy as just changing the numbers on your pricing page. There's a lot more work behind it, and thought has to go into the product and the change to the product. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. ju just a quick aside we're talking about mm -hmm. annual pricing for, um, for SaaS. Looking at the Spin Up WP pricing, oh, we've got monthly currently. Monthly mm -hmm. yep. only? Are we monthly only? Yep. Is that in the works to introduce annual? Or I mean, from a hosting perspective, to I guess people are used to playing monthly. Or is it would well, annual work in that sense? Yeah. So the, the the main reason I didn't do it initially was I was thinking of churn. So it's if you if you um I, I wanted to know on a monthly basis. Basically, I wanted to bug people every month are you do you keep want to do you want to pay for this still do you still want to pay for this do you still want to pay for this i wanted that initially because i wanted to know if people still wanted spin up wp because that that gives Part of product market fit kind of understanding if exactly. it's if it's there people are going to pay for it yeah exactly but i i've you know some people have pushed back when i've told them that you know, there's better there's better ways to get that that data. There's <laughs> not the there's, risky revenue kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. You can use metrics to see usage data. You know, like are they actually did they actually spin up a server? Are they adding sites? Are they doing that on a monthly basis? Like we don't have any of those metrics, and we've just relied on uh, on that on churn essentially. Um, so so that's why initially I didn't do it, and now I'm I'm kind of like. Because we've gotten this, we've gotten people asking for for annual because they're probably sick of seeing our, our invoices every month, um, yeah. and um, and they probably want a discount, right? Usually the the kind of standard is two months free kind of discount, right? Yeah. But the the problem is with spin up is that you it's it's variable. You, if you add another server tomorrow, you're going to pay more than you did last month, right? So yeah. if you're going to pay annually, then we're going to have to just pay annually from your price today. And then if you, uh, if you upgrade, if you add another server, you know, in a month or two, then we would have to prorate that addition. Uh, so it, it's pretty complicated, um, but it's, it's not, you know, it's doable. We can, we can still do it, it's, but it's going to be some work to implement that. And I think, I think the thing that's, most lacking right now um that's a much higher priority than that is free so free trial we don't have a free trial 
So people, again, we, this goes back to what I was talking about before, where developers, they want to kick the tires, you know, they don't want to trust the marketing to sell them on something before they, t you know, before they get their credit card out. And so having a free trial is just going to allow to, us to bring in more people to try the product and find out that, hey, this is, this is actually great or you know maybe they don't like it right but at least yeah. at least they'll then they, they they then know and they're not guessing whether they, they're going to like it or not just from the yeah. we we <clears throat> we have uh amplitude set up to kind of track uh people coming back to the site and uh whether or not they like what their journey was to purchase so how many times they came to our site, what they were looking at before they, they purchased, like what pages on our site they were looking at. And if, if we look at that, you see people, you know, two months ago, they came to our site for the first time from, you know, Google. Uh, and then they come back like weeks later, they look at our pricing page again, and then they still don't buy. And then weeks later after that. And we, so we can see people who've become customers recently that literally came back to our site several times over months and didn't purchase. I think these are the customers that we're going to get on a free trial immediately. Straight, right? and straight away. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, yeah, we had that discussion, um, a couple of weeks ago and I remember saying that like I I just have this really bad perception that especially for my plugins that somebody will visit the plugin page they'll go to the pricing page and they'll see that okay this is something they need and they'll just buy it without any question and they'll buy it <laughs> the first visit and I'm like that's not what I do I don't do that you window shop you know you don't do it with physical items you don't do it with online items so why do we expect that journey to be so quick and actually mm -hmm. we need to do as much as possible to kind of um, you know, usher somebody in nicely and allow them to kind of come and look around and play with it. I mean, Plugin Ranks had a trial since the beginning, but it initially it was like a 21-day trial so people could get in, use the plugin, uh, the product, make tweaks to, to their plugins, readmes, and see the effects over time and then think, oh, yeah, this is valuable. But then 21 days, somebody else said to me, that is a bit long. So now it's seven days. And that mm -hmm. and that kind of works and it's a it's a shorter period of, of kicking the tires. But talking of trials, this is a question for you, as soon as though we've not introduced it yet in spin-up. Are you doing credit card up front or no credit card up front? Because like, that's, that's another you know, friction point, isn't it, for people? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And we, will, we won't have credit card up front to start. So that's going to be our first test. Maybe we'll add it later to test to see how that changes things. But to start, we're definitely not going to have it because I want to I go with the least friction possible to start and see how that goes. Um, and yeah, I think the, I think the problem with credit card up front is some people don't have a credit card. First of all, some people only use PayPal online. Other people are working as part of a company and they would have to get their credit card from their manager or whatever else. Like, you know, and they, they don't want to use a personal card for, for this purpose, um, and so, you know, those, those folks will be hindered if there's a credit card up front as well. Right. So, yeah, I, I think this is the way to go. I mean, the other, I mean, another thing we could do is freemium where you get like a certain, maybe you get one server for free, I guess. Uh, I really don't like that model at the moment 
because I feel like we're just going to get a lot of freeloaders on there that are not, mm-hmm. that are never going to pay us. Yeah. Um, but I can see where freemium could be really valuable. So like, uh, there's certain, certain products where, uh, that are, they're more geared towards enterprise. So, um, so maybe the first, the, the lowest tier, the lowest paid tier is like a thousand dollars a month. Right. Uh, well, it makes sense for that company to have a free tier because if you're an enterprise coming along, uh, it'd be great if you could just use it, if the developers on your team could just use it and, uh, and they don't have to put a credit card in or anything, right? You don't have to get the legal department and the purchasing department in, involved or anything in the beginning and they can just try it and then boom, next thing you know, you know, if they're happy, they, they upgrade to the thousand dollar a month <laughs> plan, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. But not, but, but in the, in the opposite of that, where you've got freemium and then the next, the, the actual first paid tier is $12 a month. Like, you don't, <laughs> right. it's not, it's not necessarily needed. Uh, yeah. yeah. You, you end up with people that just use a bunch of different email addresses to just keep getting free accounts. Right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that kind exactly. of thing. Exactly. And, yeah, and it, and again, it kind of goes against what you were saying about having the the MR the monthly charge to start with to to try and understand if people are willing to pay for it, and if you've just got a freemium model or uh, with a free tier, right? You're still not quite understanding. Is it is the value there for them to pay? Like, are you just going to get a shed load of of freemium users? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean. Like I said, the, the, the instrumentation is, is the better approach there <clears throat> where you pay attention to usage of your app. But in the early days when you're just launching, you know, do you want to spend time integrating with Customer.io or whatever to, to like, you know, get all this instrumentation in place? Or do you just want to pay attention to one little metric, the churn, right? And just see... I think I think that's a good approach if if um, if you're short on resources, which who the heck isn't short on resources in the earliest days, right? Yeah, and if you're bootstrapping something, it's it, there's too many other things to be working on. Um, yeah. I think just going back to what we were talking about, annual pricing and monthly pricing for plugins and SaaS, I guess it applies to both. It's one thing the benefit, one of the benefits we've not talked about with annual is just cash flow um yes like you'd mentioned it to me before, previously that just having that annual injection or the injection of cash from an annual um sale is is actually beneficial for the product and the company because you've got some money to to grow with rather than like as you said with your examples for the numbers having to get so many customers before you get 10k mrr for on our yes. monthly pricing yeah yeah, it's it's crazy how many. If you do the math, it's it's staggering how many customers you need to get, at a, especially at a low price point. You know, like if your if your app is going to be, you know, ten to fifteen dollars a month, you've got to get nearly a thousand customers to get to ten k MRR. I mean, it's it, it's uh, it's really daunting <laughs> when you're first starting out and and you launch and your first month you you might get you know. Uh, you know, a dozen signups or something, and you're just so far from that 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 goal, you know. Mm. Um, and then the next month, maybe you get 15 signups, or maybe you know. So it's, yeah, it, it can be really really tough. I think for us, 
launching our spin up WP, our SaaS, we had an advantage, right? We had a head start. We've got an audience. We've got other products that this product is going to be good for, right? But if you're starting from scratch and you've got very little uh, eyeballs to email to, uh, it's going to be it's going to be a really a really tough challenge. It's a, it's a marketing challenge, and I mean this is one of the other this this is one of the reasons we like to um, launch blog posts before we launch products, right? So before spin up WP was a thing, we had a server setup guide that kind of guided people through setting up a server from scratch on DigitalOcean, and and that got a lot of traffic. So that when we were considering the idea of building this app, like we could look at that traffic and say, whoa, look at, look at all these people we could potentially funnel in yeah. to this app, right? Um, so I, I think that's a good approach. Um, but, um, but yeah, I guess the point is annual, annual uh, subscriptions for plugins are just a great way to go. And I guess what I was trying to say earlier is this, I, I didn't do this intentionally, right? This was the Gravity Forms model, and we just, I just copied what they were doing. But it just so happened that that was a really good model for someone just, just starting out at $0 a month, right? Uh, you get all that, you capture all that value from, you know, those. So uh, what would it be like? So if you got 10 customers in your first month and they're paying you $100 for your plugin, right? You've got a thousand bucks right there, right? Whereas if, 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 you're pay, if they're paying you $10 a month, that first month, 10 customers, <laughs> yeah. you've got $100, right? I mean, yeah. that's just staggeringly different, right? Yeah. And you can use that $1,000 to, you know, hire someone part-time to help you out or, you know, uh, buy Support some ads. time and, working on it or, yeah, exactly, yeah. as opposed to being a side gig. Yeah. I, and I guess it, it is a, a conception issue because we always think of WordPress plugins being at an annual price and we, I always think of SaaS pricing as a monthly thing. Right. But the benefits you've just talked about with having it at an annual, because if you're starting out at zero and you can get, you know, a hundred, you know, ten customers p- paying you a hundred dollars, you're in a much better shape. But does that mean? I mean, the question is, does that mean if you're starting out and you want to build a product or you want to build a side project, should you build a WordPress plugin that sells annually, or should you build a SaaS that does monthly, or you know, like in the best, the best sort of scenario, like. I, and, and this is this is a, a question I want to sort of um, explore a bit is because we've got plugins and we've got a SaaS and similar for my side projects. Is SaaS the ultimate thing, that the destination for us? Or do you see plugins as their own kind of, like they're a, they're a totally a great thing to have? Do they sit side by side? Is it a journey to the SaaS? Is SaaS always better? Because it seems to be the holy grail within like indie <laughs> hackers, side project people, anything, anybody in the product space. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that, um, I think that plugins are the better option when you're starting out, purely because the expectation, uh, the customer expectation is to pay annually, and so you can have that that bulk of money upfront, and you can use it to like to plow under and and really ramp up quickly right whereas with SaaS, the expectation the customer expectation is to pay monthly and you're not going to make hardly anything in the beginning and it's just really difficult 
You know, you're going to be working evenings and weekends and, and keeping your day job for a really long time <laughs> if, you, if you start with a SaaS versus a WordPress plugin. I mean, mm. I'm assuming here that you're hitting the nail on the head with the product too. I mean, there's no guarantee a SaaS that you build is going gonna, is gonna to be good is, is going to resonate with anyone and you're ever going to make money, like a good amount of money with it. And the same is true with the WordPress plugin. So, but at least a WordPress plugin is a lot less work. You know, there's a lot less, uh, you don't have to worry about infrastructure, right? The infrastructure, someone else worries about that because it's your customer, the customer that worries about that. Um, and the, yeah, it's just way less, uh, it, it tr usually way less work. And you can get a, a WordPress plugin launch, an MVP, way sooner than a SaaS product. And so you can test things out easier, right? And then once you have like a good recurring revenue uh, coming in from a plugin or two, then you can, you know, uh, start up a SaaS app and, and gradually get it there over years, usually, right? There's very few SaaS apps that become you know, get the 10K MRR in the first month or two, you know, like it's, it's usually, uh, I can't remember what SpinUp WT, how long it took SpinUp WP, but I would say it probably was close to a year to get the 10K MRR, right? Um, yeah, I think, I think that's about right. Um, and that's with us, with an audience, you know? Exactly, and, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that, yeah, so that's what I, I think about that. Um, now, is, is SaaS always, always the better option, right? Because that's what it sounds like I'm saying. Like, you kind of just use plugins as a way to, like, like Rob Walling says, stair-step your way up to a SaaS. And the SaaS is kind of the next, it is the pinnacle. It is the, the thing that you're, you're kind of working towards. Um, I, think it, I think it is. And the reason for that is intellectual property, right? With, with WordPress plugins, you own literally no intellectual property unless it has a SaaS component to it, unless there's a cloud component to the, to the plugin, like a, vault, like a vault press and an akismet, right? I think most of their secret sauce is in the cloud, right? In, in, in their cloud apps. Uh, like I don't know how Kismet or Vault Press works on the on the cloud side, right? No one, we haven't seen that code. Um, but if you're if you're doing a WordPress plugin, and you know there's no cloud component to it, and all the complexity is right there for everyone to see, you literally have no like that. That's all open source and free, and and you have no claim to it really. Um, and w whereas with a SaaS, you know, it's it's kind of a black box, right? Um, and when, so when you sell that, that company or that, that product, like when, when you're finally getting to a point where you're, you're going to part ways with it, that's going to be worth a lot more. It's going to be worth significantly more. I mean, I don't, I don't know if we, do we actually know exactly how much WooThemes sold for, you know, a few years back? I don't think we do, but I think I think it's speculated that it was around thirty million or something like that. Mm. I think, but I mean, look at the market that WooCommerce had cornered at that point. Like, it, it was a staggering percentage of the e-commerce market that they owned, and thirty million—that's it. 
Like if that was a SaaS app, look 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 what Shopify's valuation was at that point, and and their comparatively tiny slice of the e-commerce market, right? I mean, this is this is a perfect example of the difference between a plugin's value and a SaaS's value, right? Um, so I I think I think that's why it's the pinnacle, um, but I mean, there's yeah, I love plugins too. I I think plugins are cool too because. I like the part, the thing about plugins I love is that it allows people to own their data, whereas SaaS is the opposite of that, right? And, and I do wonder if in the future there's going to be more and more of a rebuffing of SaaS, like people being more conscious of their data and where it lives and ownership of it. And so the, I wouldn't be surprised if in the future um, that we see people that, that are more... Um, more aware of their data ownership and more conscious of it and people gravitating away from cloud and more towards their own self-installed software again, right? I wouldn't be surprised if we, we see a shift to that eventually. Um, mm. Maybe not in our lifetime, though. I, I don't know. I don't know if I'm that optimistic. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there is definitely a, a, a sort of a trend of self-hosted alternatives to these kind of big SaaS apps that people use day in, day out. But I guess they don't take off mainstream for a number of reasons. But it, again, it's managing the infrastructure and needing to kind of keep that up, updated. I mean, I, for example, I use Sendy to send marketing emails and it's a self-hosted PHP app. Um, you know, it's a MailChimp alternative. It's a whatever. And it's it's much cheaper because it uses Amazon SES under the, under the hood to send your email. So it's much cheaper. Um, but it's, it's a pain to have to integrate with to have to keep updated. Like as much as the money that it saves, I'm not sure it's worth it. So yeah, right. There'll definitely have to be a, a big change in people's uh, yeah. ways of looking at it. To- well, I think what's interesting is that you can, there's a, like a hybrid model to this, right? Because what you're touching on here is it's a nuisance to have to install the app yourself and manage a server that that's running this app and then update the software regularly. And that, that whole thing is annoying, right? But I could imagine a service where, like, that it hosts the app for you, the software itself, but maybe it's connecting to uh, Amazon SES, right? So there, there is a product that's called... Um, email octopus and this they do this exact thing Mm. right so so you sign up for their SaaS app but you you bring your own amazon ses account so it sends stuff through there that's not a not a great example because like the data is going through amazon ses so it's like what's the difference like (laughs) you know it it is cheaper i suppose that's i guess that's the big difference It, it is considerably cheaper um but, but that's a different thing. And I, I would argue that SpinUpWP kind of is a good example of this because we're allowing people to bring their own server. So that server could be sitting in their office, right? As long as it has an IP address, it could, it can, SpinUpWP can connect to it and work on it and, and set up the stack and add sites and run backups and do all the things that it does. But that server is theirs it's sitting on premises in their you know in their office and 
but they're using our software, our cloud software to manage it, right? So it's kind of a hybrid approach where you kind of get the best of both worlds. They keep their data, uh, and, and, but they have the convenience of using our software remotely, mm. right? So I, yeah, I like that idea. Um, it seems like our customers do as well, but I don't, I don't hear from people saying like, oh, I love spin up WP because, uh, you know, it, keep, it keeps our data hours or like, that's just not something people are saying right now. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I do, I do wonder if we're going to, maybe, maybe we will hear that in the future, you know, as people get more um, sensitive about data, you know, I think people are already, you know, with, with the, the social dilemma, uh, documentary on Netflix, uh, you know, talking about people's data and, you know, these big data companies like Facebook and Google and et cetera, who are using that data and, and kind of turning it against you <laughs> to take advantage of, of your, your flaws. Um, I think people are waking up a bit to that. And yet I see just as it seems to me that just just as much activity on my Facebook feed when I log in once a month to check it out. Uh, yeah, I, but that's the thing. It, it depends who you speak to, where you see. But there is the, a, a large number of privacy first and really um, data uh, aware apps out there like, you know, the, the Google Analytics um replacement of fathom which is a privacy first type thing that right. is like the, 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 there seems to be this growing trend of apps that that's their selling point is that you know like ash's reply reply box um commenting plugin system app whatever you know it's it's everything that discus isn't because it doesn't steal your data it doesn't use your data it doesn't track it all and it's mm -hmm. like that's the kind of um that that seems to it, not so much of a fashion, but it seems to be a marketing. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, not not ploy. Ploy's not the I right mean, word. I mean, Apple. Tool, but it's Apple's the biggest a, a example feature. of this, right? Yeah. Like Apple is really latched on. Like we're the privacy alternative in the smartphone market. Get an iPhone. We're not going to harvest your data and use it against you, right? That's Google's thing, right? Like that's that's their marketing message right now. That's like their primary marketing message. And so we, yeah, we are seeing that, and I think it's true that, um, I mean, they wouldn't be doing it if they didn't think it was a, a winning strategy, right? Um, yeah, the question, exactly. though, the question, though, will it pan out for them, right? Like, is it actually going to be effective in the long term, or do people really not care that much about their data, right? Mm. So, I, I don't know. Will be a couple of Cambridge, couple more Cambridge Analytica scandals before things r really change. I think. Um, yeah. 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 Um, I do. I do agree with you in terms of like SaaS being it is that stepping staircase up to it, but plugins have their space, their their place. Although I think I, I would kind of not argue, but I would contest the thing that that perhaps plugins are easier because I think nowadays. They're hard. They're as hard as as SaaS products to to kind of not not build necessarily, but get out there to market mm -hmm. because you still but the even bar though, is higher. Yeah, yeah, and I think you know from the Delicious Brains point of view, the the plugins that we have, we've got all of that 
infrastructure around selling them, um, mm. the licenses, all of the sort of the dunning kind of keeping on top of recurring payments, all of that stuff has we've had for years and we've in, improved on. So if we yeah, release another plugin, for example, it just works within that system. So you kind of a massive head start. But if you were to start something from scratch nowadays, it's a a busier marketplace of plugins. There's the ecosystem is pretty saturated. There's a lot of plugins that do similar things. You've got to sell it. You've got to market it. You've got to acquire customers. Like it's not. It used to be a lot easier, I think. And I think some of the challenges plugin people face is it's the same as SaaS. Um, you, you you don't obviously have the infrastructure like you said, but I think there's still it's still a um, that the same problems exist between the two. Yeah, I would agree to a point. So you're right. There, the this so SaaS has all the same all those challenges as well, but I think it has more. Right. So so I would I would say that WordPress.org being a marketing channel is a big advantage for WordPress plugins. Like you could conceivably just throw up a free plugin on there and maybe get some traction with some good keywords in a readme file, maybe using a, an, an uh, SEO a, tool. Yeah. An yeah. SEO tool. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, I jumped in before you, uh, may, you did my plug for me. Thank you. Maybe, maybe called plugin rank. Um, yeah. And, and, and you could kind of, you know, go that route, plant some seeds, maybe, maybe build a few of those plugins and see what sticks, right? Like that's a, with a SaaS, you have to kind of do that on Google, right? But you could also do that on Google with a WordPress plugin, right? So you could, you have that flexibility marketing wise. Um, and I, I, an MVP of a SaaS is just going to be bigger and more complex than an MVP of a plugin. It just is like you, like you can always, I think you could always find a plugin idea that's going to be simpler than even the simplest SaaS idea, right? Um, and then I think the, so I mean, and it doesn't have to be a WordPress plugin either, though. It could be your first thing could be a, let Shopify is another good marketplace to go with. So build a Shopify app. Um, and, and the advantage there is you have the Shopify marketplace. And so you can get in front of those eyeballs and uh, it has that, that, and a Shopify app could be very basic, right? It's similar to a WordPress plugin. Uh, an MVP could be quite, quite simple. So I, th I think there, there are certainly challenges and it was, it has, it's not as easy now as it was in the past because uh, a lot of the good ideas are taken, right? And there's big players, big competitors. Um, that being said, I, I, that's a double-edged sword in my opinion, because, you know, back in the day, like you didn't even know, like you might build a plugin that's not, hasn't been built before. You don't know if there's a de demand for that, at least now, like, you know, if you're going to uh, forms plugins, probably a bad idea because there's quite a few of them, but you know, maybe there's, you know, I think, uh, image compression plugins. I think there's only like three or four of them or something, right? Maybe look at the look at the numbers for EWW. Like that plugin has over a million active installs on .org, right? Maybe you can dip in there and uh, and make one that that competes, right? Um, yeah. So uh, I don't think uh, the author of that plugin is going to appreciate what I just said. 
but <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, well, qu- quickly moving on though, because we've you've just di- touched on the marketing benefits of WordPress plugins because we've got WordPress.org as the huge marketing channel, um, and there's many ways to create a WordPress plugin and have a way of monetization. Like I guess from what you just said, you would never. Um, create a premium only plugin would you always have a wordpress.org version whether or not that's the main plugin with add-ons or a free and a pro version like would you ever spurn that marketing opportunity i would now because we already have an audience right so if we built a premium product i think we would be fine not having one on .org that being said we still get lots of customers through that channel we still get lots of people trying our free product and then upgrading to the pro version right so it's a good marketing channel uh, even for more established folks so uh i like i like it i like that route because you can plant seeds right you can you can make something that is you know the smallest possible version of a, of a plugin uh in your plans to to, to build it out you can put that on .org and see if you can get some traction there. See if people take to it. And then maybe do that two or three times before you actually start building, you know, big a big plugin with lots of features in it, right? Um, see which sticks. I think, see which sort of and I mean, brings something we never, yeah, something we never even talked about is the, the idea of adopting a free plugin. A plugin that has been abandoned, uh, hasn't been updated in a long time, that has some traction already. And you just get in there, refurbish it, uh, and then build a pro version of it, and you're off to the races. Like that's that's an even quicker shortcut than building something new, putting it up there and waiting for you know some people mm. to find it and 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 try it, right? So well, an extension of that is not even not even finding a plugin that's that's you know not supported or fallen into, into disrepair and needs adopting, but it's a, it's a viable. Um, business opportunity that like awesome motive do a lot they identify a large plugin that's a free plugin that it has a lot of uh, active installs but it hasn't had monetization and they acquire the free plugin and then they monetize it like that's that's kind of a a, a way to oh, yeah. do it i mean obviously you you need um you need some sort of weight behind you to in in terms of buying it but <laughs> yeah. you know you're some basically buying it at least you, yeah, you're buying a user base and therefore you've got eyes on a free plugin that is doing a good job because it's doing it for a lot of people and you can then find ways of monetizing it. Yeah. One thing that comes to mind as we're talking about this is that developers so we're we're taught, you know, we we've basically been saying, you know, you really shouldn't build your SaaS as your first thing. You should build a a, a small plugin to get started, get some revenue from that, and then work your way up to the next stair step. But what I've witnessed is that developers, good developers, great developers, have an aversion to working on WordPress in their free time, Mm -hmm. in their evenings and weekends. That's not what they want to play around with, right? They, They want to work with Laravel if they're a PHP developer, or Rails if they're in that world. Right, they want to work on the technologies that are used to build SaaS apps, right? And so, yeah. I think there's a big, big problem that a lot of people have with their side projects that 
they haven't they haven't gotten to the place where they're serious enough about building a business right or building a a good income stream that they're willing to sacrifice you know the short-term um, pleasure of of working with these new technologies for the the pain of working with maybe technologies they don't like so much but will that will actually give them a much greater chance of succeeding right in in, in accomplishing that first stair step um, and so I, I think I think that's literally I think that's the biggest problem most developers have in 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 becoming uh, successful in in this this business space right mm. is getting over that that idea of uh, you know oh I don't want to work with WordPress it's, it kills me mm. <laughs> yeah developers want to develop but you you literally have described sort of the last three or four months for me because. On the one hand, I had WP User Manager, or I have WP User Manager, WordPress plugin, add-ons as the monetization model, doing well, definitely potential for growth, um, but it's a WordPress plugin, so not exactly fun and interesting to work on all the time in my spare time. And then along comes Plugin Rank, the idea, let's build this as a SaaS, it's Laravel, it's Vue.js. To me, that's a, a new stack, so it's fresh, um, but also, like, just to counter what you just said about it's it's not necessary because WordPress is rubbish, but I think mm. you're, with a SaaS, you're solving a problem. It's your own problem it's for your users. A plugin is sometimes different because you're solving a problem that, or you're creating a solution that can be used in lots of different ways. Um, so the technical, applying kind of this problem solving to a SaaS is much more interesting than to like, work through what like 15 different customers need for your plugin because it, it's a bit of a swiss army knife or whatever like it's not always that fun to work on but working on a new um a new sort of ring fence technical challenge because it, it, it's your own infrastructure it's your own solution it's not within wordpress you don't have to worry about the dependencies of wordpress not necessarily because it's a bad stack of whatever but yeah i think mm -hmm. that's all of that combined has made plugin rank for me more of a draw for my time. And mm. sometimes I sit back and go, right, well, I've just spent like three hours this evening working on plugin rank because it's fun. And, you know, but it's at this point, it's on 200 MRR. But <laughs> WP user manager is bringing in like, you know, a, a thousand plus a month. Why am I not, you know, right? What am I doing here? Like, <laughs> I've got to, I've got to you know stop be being a developer and think more like a business and as you say just mm. sort of suck it up and do the the stuff that isn't perhaps as as interesting but it's going to yeah. make you more money like I, I would argue that you're almost on that first stair though right like maybe maybe you're not all the way up the first stair and maybe you're a little you're kind of trying to do the second stair at the same time as you're doing the first stair. <laughs> yeah. Uh, trying to do too many things at once is a common thread yeah. for me, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. But, but at the same time, I, I get it, what you're saying about fun. It's really hard to ignore that, especially if you're already working a day job, right? And it's hard to, to, to have the motivation to, after putting in, you know, your, your seven, eight hours, you know, during, the day to like then after dinner in the evening to spend an hour or two 
on a side project that's no fucking fun right like that's yeah that's that's horrendous to work on um I, i wonder if there's like a happy medium here where you know if you did build a a plugin that uh has a SaaS component to it straight away right then then at least you would you get the benefits of being able to market it as a WordPress plugin and at the annual rate, potentially even, uh, uh, an annual building model, I guess. And, uh, but then you'd have the, the fun SaaS component part of it to work on. You know, you could build your Laravel app or whatever else. Um, that might be the best of both worlds, to be honest. Um, mm. So, yeah, I think that might work. Anyway, man, we're uh, we're well over an hour now. As uh, it's turning into the Joe Rogan experience, I think it's the <laughs> yeah the three three hour marathon podcast. It's been a good chat, though. Yeah, it's been great. Uh, yeah, we'll have to have to do this again uh, sometime soon. So, if anyone has hey, any questions, uh, just uh, yeah, I mean, I'm at Brad T on Twitter. Uh, Pole Vault Web at Pole Vault Web on Twitter is is Ian. And, um, yeah, hit us up there. Um, anything else to say before we go? No, no, that was really good. Good to chat. Thanks for having me on and yeah, catch you soon. All right. Thanks everybody. 